Today's episode of The Dad Chronicle is brought to you by Peak Tea. Peak has an incredible selection of teas that support a healthy immune system, healthy digestion, calm energy, and healthy weight management. The matcha is incredible. It's a great coffee alternative with sustained energy to get you through those hectic days. And also, it's crafted by a Japanese tea master. There are only 15 of them in the world. Get your tea at peaktea.com. That's spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com. And use code ALEXA5 at checkout to get 5% off your order. Again, that's spelled P-I-Q-U-E-T-E-A.com. And use code ALEXA5 at checkout. Welcome back to The Dad Chronicle. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 129. Over the past few years, I've been reflecting on the divisiveness that we've been seeing in America. I've been desperately trying to understand why we can't learn to hear each other and lead with empathy and understanding. I think about this a lot because I think about what it means for my kids and the sort of example that I want to set for them. One that thinks critically but compassionately about you know important issues and an example that leads with love and understanding this is why i invited a familiar face to the show wendy dunford she's a therapist and she's been on the show before talking about important mental health issues as it pertains to parenting and our kids but today we focus more on this idea of empathy and setting the right example for our kids we talk about the importance of compassion as a leading factor in setting the right example. Your desire is to help. It's not to compete for your own experience or um, or to actively feel their pain because that'll wear us right out. We talk about the key elements children need to thrive and how it translates into handling conflict with others. These four things are really important to remember that everyone, especially children, thrive when they feel four things, when they feel safe, when they feel seen, when they feel heard, and they feel helped. We talk about how we as parents can, quote unquote, take our own garbage out in order to set the right example for our kids when we encounter conflict. What you just conjured with a half a second is compassion for another person. And this is often what, where people's garbage actually needs to be taken out. It's now turn that to yourself. And finally, we talk about some tangible ways we can lift our spirits and get in the right mindset during this time. Reduce your consumption of stuff that makes you feel nuts. Here's my very enlightening conversation with Wendy Dunford. Wendy Dunford, welcome back to the Dad Chronicle. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a little bit since you've been on the show and certainly appreciate you uh, coming and joining us uh, for another really good conversation. And for anybody who may be new to the show and hasn't heard you or any of the work that you've done with your brother Scott through uh, the Frog Pants Network, do, do you want to just take a quick moment and introduce yourself? Yeah. My name is Wendy Dunford and I am a licensed clinical social worker and have been doing that for 20 20- million years. <laughs> I don't know the exact number, but it feels like 20 million. This last year felt like uh, 1 million years put into one year. Um, and I work with couples and individuals and just various mental health uh, challenges. And yeah, yeah. So that's what I do. And Wendy is uh, one of my favorite personalities on TMS who comes on and talks every Thursday with Brian and Scott on that show. 
um, about all things, you know, therapy and and uh, mindfulness and, you know, other things in, involving the community, written in questions and stuff. And, you know, Wendy is my go-to person for when I'm feeling that, you know, like I'm like, Wendy, can you come on the show and talk about this? <laughs> And so here you are. Thank you. Very flattered. And today we're really focusing the conversation around empathy and uh, how we deal with conflict in a way that's responsible to uh, set the right example for our kids. And if we think about just kind of setting the stage for the conversation, if we think about a lot of the the, the rhetoric over the past, eh, let's say, four or five years, um, it's I feel like there's been a tremendous downward spiral of empathy and listening and understanding perspectives from other people. And that's something that I try to tackle a lot on this show by providing various perspectives from dads around parenting and, and uh, other experts and such. So this really jives with the theme of this show. So, you know, uh, what we're having here is Wendy coming on to kind of talk how uh, talk about how we handle some of that. So, Wendy, you know, first of all, I think it's really important to distinguish the difference between empathy and sympathy and how we kind of think about that just as kind of a a foundational layer for this conversation. Um, Do you have any specific thoughts on that? I do. And I'm going to maybe blow your mind a little bit because I'm going to tell you that both of them are problematic. And there's actually a third one that we really, really, that's the one we need to emphasize here. So let me give you some definitions that I, I think can be helpful and everyone can relate to having some of this experience, they've felt these feelings before or had this experience. So often we kind of get confused about these. In fact, sometimes I have to look up the definition again to really remember if I'm getting the right word with the right thing because they're so close. Um, But there is some qualitative differences between these words that matter. So sympathy is feelings of pity or sorrow for someone else's misfortune. You're sort of feeling sympathetic to their plight. You can just kind of see that it's terrible um, and and you kind of feel sad for them or just, you know, sort of those feelings of pity. Um, That is not usually what people like to receive. So if you're telling someone about your really rough day and they're just having sympathetic response to you, no one one really loves feeling pitied, right? Yeah. Um, So then we'd say, okay, empathy, that's the thing we really need to spread. And, and it's just been, the name is actually a little off. So let me give you a definition for empathy and then I'll tell you where I want us to land. And then how do we actually practice that with kids? We'll get into that. Um, so the empathy definition would be the ability to understand and share the feelings of another person. So there's this cognitive piece where you like, you get where they're coming from, you can hear their story and you can sort of feel the feelings of, you know, this feels uh, painful, this is hard. Um, and a way to think of it is like a vicarious experiencing of the feelings as you're listening and you're trying to understand. Okay, so that sounds all good, right? Right. But here's here's where uh, we, we want to, well, and maybe anyone in the helping industry will recognize this term of compassion fatigue. And actually, we should really be calling it empathy fatigue because empathy, which is super interesting when they've um, studied the brain while someone is experiencing empathy and someone is experiencing compassion. So let me define compassion really quick. Compassion is the emotional response to someone's plight or challenges, which increases or you know gives you a desire to help. So 
That feeling is fascinating when scanning the brain, when you have compassion, different parts of your brain light up than when you have, when you're experiencing empathy. And what empathy actually shows in the brain, it shows that, you know, the part that's sort of linked to emotions and self-awareness, that part is getting kicked in. Um, and also the emotions and consciousness, it's all that good stuff, right? Like, oh, I'm getting where this person's coming from. I'm even feeling some of this. Right. Um, and it also connects to our learning and decision-making. All this stuff's happening. And we're like, yeah, this is great. Um, it also will tap into our pain receptors. We will actually feel some pain when we are you know, feeling some empathy. So this is what um, therapists can run into when they're over-experiencing or very sensitive people. And often uh, kids are just very sensitive people to start with because they're kids, right? And sort of hearing so much pain or hearing someone's so much sadness, just like too much, they're feeling pain. Their body is actually responding with that pain response. Whereas when we scan the brains of people experiencing compassion, um, it activates totally different ty types of the brain and it's nowhere near the pain receptor section. Wow. It's Yeah, it's pretty cool. And this is where it breaks down. So maybe I'm getting way into the weeds way no, too soon here. this is great. Here. This is great. Um, but I think, and especially in the, a political climate that's that's very polarized, we aren't the first one in history to experience this, but it you know it's happened on, on, on and off for ever. For humans, right. that we have this response. Notice the empathy part um, when we experience that empathy part, or even sympathy part. It is tapping into our self awareness, right? And that can be really great. Um, but sometimes, how that kind of looks is self referential, which means, um, you know, when you hear somebody's story, like, you know, this actually happened to me. Here's a mm -hmm. here's a terrible good example. Um, it was at my father's funeral. A woman I didn't know walked up. I was standing near the, the casket and greeting people. And she walked up to me and said, I know exactly how you feel. So that would be a form of empathy, right? She was, she's, you know, here to comfort and share her empath, empathy that, you know, I know how you feel. And then she went on to tell me how her dog had passed away. So she understood what it was like for me to lose my dad because she lost her dog. So you might <laughs> suspect that that was not helpful. <laughs> that was really hard to hear. And I, you know, just kind of excused myself and went somewhere else and, you know, whatever, just was like, I'm not going to take care of you here at my father's funeral. No. But that's an example of when, when this empathy sort of kicks in, we have this response of like, me too. I've, I've felt that way. Right. And there's some value to that. I think one of our challenges though, is that especially in a digital world where I'm responding to your tweet. I am not looking at your face and seeing your response when I say, yeah, I also have been in a lot of pain. Um, you know, you're, you're referencing yourself. And so you stop with the sort of, Hey, I feel your pain. And then you turn your pain into what's relative to the pain you've experienced. And sort of, we can find ourselves just not feeling very comforted. So I, I, I'm not going to blame it all on Twitter, but this idea that this there's been a, become a disconnect in expressing certain emotional things mm -hmm. that maybe wasn't there 20, 30, 40, 100 years ago because we were we were more face to face. So this leads to this compassion piece and and we'll get more into it, but that's our goal here is to actually get to it it's like a subset of empathy, right? Which sure. is to have an emotional response to someone's challenge where your desire is to help it's not to compete for your own experience or 
um, or to actively feel their pain because that'll wear us right out. That distinction is so important. And, and yeah, you're right. That blew my mind. I, I am completely shifting my frame of thought around how compassion is really kind of the key player in this. And it's it's so important. And like, especially when you brought up like the political divisiveness and what people are experiencing with family and, uh, you know, the, we could say anything involving politics or the, the vaccine and, you know, all these other things that are super divisive right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we as uh, parents, so let's let's try not to tackle the world. I was going to say, like, how do we as a people yeah. in the world? No, no, that's too big a, a, a an elephant to swallow. If we were to think about how we as parents make a difference and try to set the right example for our kids, how do we provide that right perspective to our kids that's, you know, responsible and leaving them with the opportunity to really, like, think about some of these things critically for themselves in a compassionate way? Yes. Well, if you are familiar with my work at all, you will know that I'm always talking about you got to take your own garbage out before you try to take anyone else's garbage out, Um, which is if I had to put pinpoint the the problem with divisiveness is that most of us haven't taken our own garbage out or analyzed any of it. We, we sort of just feel right. And, and the human brain is amazing to sort of not see our own flaws, but oh, yeah. see the flaws of others. That's kind of how we're built. So we're, we're fighting against nature in this, in this story. Um, but so we've got our own stuff and we can talk more about as a parent, what do you got to do with your own garbage? But when we are interacting with our children, I think it's really important that we start with something very fundamental. And this applies to adults as well as children. But when you are the parent and you're in charge of their emotional well-being, um, these four things are really important to remember um, that everyone, especially children, thrive when they feel four things, when they feel safe, when they feel seen, when they feel heard and they feel helped. So I'll just briefly talk about what I mean. Safe is where they trust what's happening. So the pandemic has been really tricky for all of us in all sorts of different ways. Um, A big one is when adults suddenly aren't feeling very safe, that trickles down to children. And so I'm going to say a statement here that might seem like, yeah, of course, but it is true. And I think we really forget this. And that is that feelings are contagious. Um, kids will feel what we are feeling. Uh, yep. That's why it's so important for you to take your garbage out. Um, so that safety, you can say, I don't have all the answers, but I will do everything I can to help, you know, our family make good choices. And we're going to listen to the scientists and you can talk about it in whatever way you need to, to create that safety and that that kid will have trust in you. You don't say, you know, things you don't know, you know, but creating that, that trust or making sure that trust is there and helping that child feel safe is is huge. Mm -hmm. The second one being seen. And that is related to, you know, are they, their needs on the agenda in the family? Are they who they are accepted? Um, and, and like really seen for who they are, not for what they are supposed to be or, you know, are you, you're the ballerina. Well, are you, or is there more to you? And, and sort of how that child is seen is really powerful. That's why identity Mm. politics are so, um, important and also can be so problematic is that sometimes it's really hard for people to see someone else in ways that they want to be seen and, you know, they struggle. Maybe they have never experienced that themselves. So we've got the safety, the scene, and then the herd being, 
you get to express your feelings. You can say what is really going on for you. You can do all sorts of communication that maybe isn't um, easy to hear. Sometimes kids will have outbursts or kids will have really strong, big feelings, but that it's safe for them to be heard and what they are saying is validated. Um, and then this last piece is that they can be helped, which is self-soothing, self-calming. Um, touch is one of our biggest powers as parents. Um, it, it is all of our primary mode of calming down, actually. No mm. matter what's happening in the world, um, one of our most important things we can give kids is safe touch um, as a, a form of soothing. And every parent sort of knows this intuitively often, right? Um, and that's another thing um, to really value here is this, to feel like they're thriving is yeah. to be helped. First thing I want to do with Aria, like when she's freaking out, it's like I just want to grab her and hug her. Right. Right. Yes. That impulse. And it doesn't work when they're tweens. So get it out now. <laughs> I'm going to um, embrace it now. Yeah. Embrace what you got. Yeah. So this this idea of that, you know, these things are really important to create stability and safety. Um, because one thing, if we've learned one thing from, you know, this pandemic that we could all sort of argue together and understandably argue together is that fear is not healthy. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not it's not great for us. None of us learn well while we're afraid. No one, um, you know, can sort of pick up new skills and, um, you know, do, do a trick on your skateboard when you're afraid. Like there, I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But just this, like, it's not great for brain development in young kids. It's not great for us. And so having fear as a primary sort of thing in the air for the last little while has been really tricky to navigate, um, for all of us parents. So first of all, we should probably clap for everyone who has survived because this has been really, really challenging. Yeah. Um, but we do know that, you know, children absolutely need a, a safe, calm a sort of baseline in order to learn and thrive. And all of us have failed probably at doing that a little bit this past year, right? Oh, like yeah. None of us have done this perfectly, of course, because we ourselves maybe haven't felt that safety. So that can lead into the sort of political question if, if you want to go there now. Yeah. Or do you have any more about just basically helping kids feel well, grounded? No, I, I think that where you're going is exactly where I, where I want to take the conversation for sure. Okay. So one thing uh, just in this like being heard thing, let's just let's talk about this. So sure. we, we know what kids need. They need to be safe, seen, heard, and helped. Now let's just transfer this to adults for a moment. Adults, when they feel safe, seen, heard, and helped, they thrive. So I think one thing that has happened, and I, I, I keep joking about this, but, you know, the older you get, you suddenly realize like, oh, that guy running that organization is my age. <laughs> or I went to high school the same year that uh, Supreme Court justice did or whatever, right? You start yeah. to have these, oh, we're all just making this up as we go, right? Like yeah. there is no, <laughs> there is no clear, uh, there are adults in charge feeling and right. more like, Oh no, no one's driving the train. <laughs> um, and that could be a little, uh, alarming. Yeah. So, so that our feelings, whatever our feelings might be like, I, I know a few people who didn't pay one minute of attention to politics before, uh, well, the last four years or some just when the pandemic started, that was their first press conference they'd ever watched. Mm -hmm. That's the first news articles they started to read, which is, strange to me because I've been doing that since I was 16, but it it's, you know, for them, this is their first time into, into this realm. And it is a 
scary place, <laughs> right? Yeah. You can't go in there and not uh, start to have a lot of feelings and be confused and have a lot of people telling you what to think and what's wrong and et cetera. So it really plays on this um, need we all have to feel safe and to feel seen that our identity matters. Um, and then what we want to say is that being heard. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of knowing we're okay. So I, I want to start with just, I think there's a lot of adults that that has been in question in the political climate that we have found ourselves in yep. when maybe it wasn't the generation before or even 10, 15 years ago. Right. And when you think about the point that you had made about taking your own garbage out and where that can help lead to some of the you know, ways that you can be a little bit more compassionate in some cases. And like you, you, like you said, like I think, and I remember learning about this in in high school because I took a psychology class. You have like the hierarchy of needs. What what was it called? Oh yeah. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And like, Uh really you have to take care of yourself before you take care of others. Yeah. And so for a lot of parents out there who maybe, you know, thinking like, okay, uh, maybe taking the the point that you made earlier, "Ah, I'm good. You know, I I'm, I'm the hero in my own story. I don't have anything to fix. But maybe they're questioning that now. What would you say are some of the steps that parents kind of need to take to do an internal like inventory check on their own situation uh, and their own garbage, if you will? Yes. Okay. Thank you. I love this question because, um, again, sort of everyone listening to me is like, oh, yeah, that makes some sense. But also it's not me, which is everyone else's poop stinks, but your own. (laughs) Right. Like you. Right. You are just fine. Um, and so a great way to sort of be a detective about this is think of the last time you had a conversation or you read something that just got a rise out of you. You could sort of feel your chest tighten and maybe your fist clench, or you just had a rush of like, Ugh, you know, feel like whatever I see it every that day on might be. social media. It's great. Yeah, exactly. So think of whatever that is and then ask yourself, what is what was happening in that story that impacted either your feeling of safety, your feelings of being seen, heard, or helped? Mm. Did it tr- trigger any of those fundamental sort of grounding places in your life? And you don't have to give us your example unless you want to. Yeah, I, I, well, uh, I'm trying to think like because it happens uh, on daily on you know various <laughs> things, but it could just be somebody who doesn't get the idea that yeah the vaccine is something that we all should take. And, you know, I get that they're potentially outliers, but for the, you know, the, the tinfoil hat wearing people who may look at it as a conspiracy to, to take over the world and and this and that. And I'm saying it sarcastically because I feel like it's silly, but that stuff gets a rise out of me. And for, for me, it, it, part of it is really all four things aren't being handled, right? Like being safe, seen, heard, helped, I'm not, like, I don't feel safe. I don't feel like my family's safe when I know that people aren't getting vaccinated because like, I know my daughter and my son are too young to get the vaccination. So they, they're at, you know, quote unquote risk. Um, yeah. I'm not being seen, um, because I just don't, I, it may be seen, I'm getting seen and heard perhaps mixed up here, but you know, like, I don't feel like there's 
a perspective, like they're understanding my perspective and it doesn't help me for obvious reasons because it comes right back to the safety of my family. So that's, so it's a threat to your ability to sort of be at peace or thrive. Right. right, So, so your body will respond or your emotions will respond to things that sort of push on those things. So let's translate this real quick back to kids. Sure. So when they are not experiencing those things, how do they respond? Well, if it's my daughter, she'll throw a temper tantrum. She'll throw something. Right. right. <laughs> so so even just say, let's just take basic safety. A child will have an emotional outburst for right. no reason. I'm sure many of you have experienced your own emotional outburst in the last year and a half. And then your child, your children will be doing that. They don't, they're not rational. They don't make any sense, but it is like a release valve that has to happen. Um, also trouble sleeping is a really common um, way when we're not feeling some of these things. Um, aggressive or irritable responses. This is every working parent from home. Um, and then this sort of needing things to make you feel safe or escape. So the human, the adults, uh, I, I, that's not fair. Kids do it too, but whatever will help them escape from feeling overwhelmed or some of these, I'm not okay feelings. So that's why we, we sort of deep dive into media or maybe drink too much or whatever those things might be. Okay. So so parents, now you're hearing, all right, so something got a rise out of me. What does that have to do with my garbage? And it's not that you can't have your thoughts, of course. We're all about seeing and hearing. It's that the current public square for you to feel seen, heard, safe, or whatever doesn't give you a lot of chances to actually have a back and forth with anyone to get to a place where you can feel those things and the other person can feel those things. Because yeah. I can tell you right now, we can take even the furthest uh, out there human being with their ideas and philosophies and their whatnots. And we could probably boil it down to, they don't feel safe thinking that the vaccine has um, nanobots that will control them. They don't feel seen or heard. And so they're having to yell in these different forums in order to do that. Um, nor do they feel helped. Now this is where we, we sort of run into a wall. Okay, if we're all feeling that, but we're on such different ways and th- ways of thinking about this, what what do we even do? And this is where we apply this compassion. And this is tricky. Yes. So I want to ever try something to take a moment, okay, and think about um, think about someone you really like. Okay, good good friend, someone who's been in your life, you really care about them. Maybe they're having a hard time. So maybe pick someone. I mean, we could kind of pick anyone, but (laughs) someone having a hard time, um, been through some things, some grief, whatever, and you just want them to have relief and peace and just you'd love to surround them with love and safety and you just want the best for them. Right. Okay. Do you got someone? Oh, yeah. I got my wife. I mean, is that cheap? Is that a cheap? No, you're not cheap. That's That's great. And you, you can say that with your dog. I am not against dogs, people. Sure, I love yeah. them with my heart. But you, it can be any living thing. You can just feel that compassion for it. Okay. That's compassion. What, what, what you just conjured with a half a second is compassion for another person, right? Right. And this is often what, where people's garbage actually needs to be taken out. It's now turn that to yourself. Can you give yourself that same kind of compassion? Mm. Yeah, that's tough. And that's something that we talked about on the show is just providing yourself so much grace that, you know, especially during this time where you can't, you you know, there's so much out of your own, uh, control and, and this, this grace is really hard to present to yourself. It's really hard. It's really hard. And I, I have one quick suggestion on how to improve that is to 
go on YouTube and search loving kindness meditations. Okay. Just do them over and over and over. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and they really do sort of get you to practice this turning compassion from outside of you towards yourself. Right. Um, cause that's huge because if, if we are so harsh with somebody else, it's usually a hint that we're really pretty harsh with ourselves. So if we feel really justified and ripping somebody down and they're just idiots or whatever it is we, we do to feel safe again, um, because this other person seems like a threat to us, right. um, that that kind of tearing them down, I could, you know, dig for a few minutes and probably find that we are pretty harsh towards ourselves. So this compassion towards oneself, compassion towards, you know, the people that we already really like, and then to turn that somehow towards the opposite side of you is pretty tough stuff. So that's hard work. This is not, this is digging deep. And I get people are like, are you kidding? I don't even know what's for dinner tonight. Are you serious (laughs) that I now have to think about my deep dive into my soul? So totally get it, totally get it. But so so here's the secondary suggestion until you have some free minutes to work on your inner soul. Um, reduce your consumption of stuff that makes you feel nuts, <laughs> right? Just yeah. cut it in half. And I get it. I'm a political junkie myself, right? So what would that look like for you? What would reducing your diet of the things that really bring you down, make you feel hopeless, you know, that, that type of news stuff. Oh gosh. It's it's like the typical crap that you see on social media. And, and, you know, I try to actually cater a lot of my social media stuff to like unfollow certain things that are just going to make me super upset. Uh, but you know, some, sometimes it sneaks in there and you can't help that. And, uh, Uh, You know, just because of all the work that I do and, you know, this sort of stuff, right? Like I'm on social media, like it's it's just kind of the way it is, but I need to scale it back or find ways to uh, put blinders on to avoid triggering myself, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes we, we kind of know what kids are good for kids and then we don't realize that kids are just mini us's sometimes. (laughs) So for example, kids find safety in routines. Right. And that's been one of our great losses, right? Is the stuff that it was already a rhythm totally got thrown up in the air and suddenly we didn't have those routines. And then people created new routines. And you watch, humans will always create a routine, whether they're conscious of it or not, there's something they will find to find rhythm and make sense. But maybe everyone has also noticed, like, you don't know what day it is. Like, that has been so common for me. So I have no oh my God. idea what yeah. day it is. And it's because the routine is too much. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's too much of the same. Um, but if you think about sort of your, your intake of negativity, we have a negativity bias in our brains. It's the thing that keeps us alive. Mm -hmm. So, you know, back in the day when you were hunting and gathering and you were, you heard a noise or saw something rustle, rustle in the bushes, you are not going to respond like, eh, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. You're going to respond like that could be death time to get ready to run. So you do, you run and sometimes it's just like a squirrel that came out and there was no threat. And other times it was the lion chasing you and you had, you know, you were either dead or you survived. And then guess what? You led a long life and not a long life, but you bred. And all <laughs> yeah. of us come from those. We we come from the anxious people, not from the Zen people. They were all killed. <laughs> yeah. G- good point. Right. So our brain loves to hear the garbage that's happening. You know, whatever the town crier needs to tell us so that we can prepare. So here's the thing. There is 
24 hours a day, never ending news that you can consume Mm -hmm. that will tell you all the bad things out there. So if we really look at what that creates in us though, because it's, it's not, it's not normal before really it was the town crier that would come over and, you know, say this or the newspaper that came out and you can only read it once a day or whatever. Now it is endless and we are not built for it. Our brains will hang on to that negativity. It causes a fight, flight, or freeze response in us. So our stress is high and we pay the price. So, so really being a little more careful about our consumption and, and in my, this is my advice to everybody is just make sure you have some good news outlets in Mm -hmm. your social media. Um, Upworthy is an example on Instagram of just like the most adorable stories that will make you cry immediately and just the world's a better place. Or, you know, your TikTok reels of just dogs doing adorable things, right? (laughs) So making sure you're balancing, if not over using positivity. Um, I, 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 I say this all the time when I talk about marriage counseling stuff, but you have to have five positives to one negative in a, a daily interaction with your spouse to be successfully stay married five to one. So I'm going to just, this isn't based on any science, but I would say if you had five positive story news things, social media things to every one negative, I mean, you'd be just fine, but that's that's not what's happening usually, right? We have a bad diet of this. Right. No, no. And that's a, that's a totally fair, I think assumption too, because I think it certainly does something to the brain similarly to what you're talking about from a marriage perspective. Um, and what you're talking about is so it's so important for people. And this is where, you know, I, I don't necessarily walk the talk, but I, you know, I'm trying to do better. I think we're all on our own path, but I, I definitely feel like, uh, it's so important to spend a little less time consuming and more time, you know, perhaps in my case, creating, uh, and trying to put more good out there to overrun the bad. But, you know, I think there is something to be said about you need something to balance it out, right? Like the yin to the yang. And what is that right, healthy balance to where you're not just seeing everything through rose-colored glasses? Yeah, I would like to meet anyone doing that because I have yet to... (laughs) find them. Uh, so if they can DM me, I'd love to have a chat about your rose color. No. And, and actually I think you might be referring to what I referred to earlier, which is this sort of bias we have where we don't see our own negative stuff, Yeah. but actually ingesting negative. I don't know any humans that aren't built for this to have that be very, um, impactful or tantalizing. It's that people have learned to control it or they really don't like how they feel. So it's very motivating not to consume it that way. Just like, Mm. you know, you may love Doritos and you can eat them all day, but you're not going to feel sick. Um, but maybe you don't want to eat Doritos anymore, but it's tough because you never feel sick about them. Whereas someone else will eat a pack of Doritos and be like, okay, gross, never again. So you just have different tolerances, I think. Um, because it really affects people a little little bit differently, which is this challenge when this self-referential bias we have, right? Which Mm. is um, with our own children. So this leads a little bit, I want to talk a little bit about like directly, how do we talk to our kids about what they're experiencing? Yeah. So for example, we, we have a tradition and I think I talked about this last time I was on the show, but we sit at dinner every night and we have, my kids have had more sit down meals because there's such good research to back that up. Mm -hmm. And it has been such a pain my whole life. To make that stupid dinner. Um, but what's been awesome is the, the reward as they become teenagers and we have such fun conversations and 
We, we get to learn so much about what they're doing. And the key here, people, is no distractions. You you will not create be able to create what I'm talking about if you have a phone anywhere near you. So we have these really strict phone rules. You cannot touch your phone at the dinner table. And if you need to, you have to ask permission and you have to leave the table. Like remember in the old days when you were had yeah. polite rules? Uh, anyway, and so we just sit around and we really talk and we share what we're thinking and have hilarious discussions that – you know, we use our Google home to find out like how tall every famous person is we can think of. And we're just laughing. And so if all the silliness, but then also there's a lot of space to have, you know, some of these deeper conversations. And over this past year and a half, we have had many, many conversations about things that have happened in my community. We live outside of Minneapolis. So, you know, we're, we're really close yeah. to where George Floyd was murdered right. and all, I mean, our stores have all been shut down, the sirens, the silence. I mean, you know, all of the things they're experiencing in their own community, conversations in their schools. So it's been a really um, important thing that we have our home base where it's just safe to talk about what they're thinking and feeling. And we have to be careful. And this is this is my advice to all parents is this is your garbage you, you got to check, which is if you are trying to tell your kids what to think, then you might be in trouble. And you might need to ask yourself, why, why, why do I need to force them to think a particular way? And why can't I give them some space to navigate or to ask questions or be curious? Because what you do is fundamentalism ultimately requires sort of lack of curiosity or lack of experiences outside of what you're told you should be having. And so for kids, they're just, they're going to want to please mom and dad. So no matter what you say, you're going to win because the love you need from your parents is going to override whether mom and dad are right about anything. It will always override that. So the kids will follow suit unless they're rebels. And that's a whole nother story. Um, But they will rebel eventually if you've only told them what to think or what to do. So this real openness to what do you think and how, how are you understanding this? Um, and you know, a kid who is starting to argue some point that he's thought through that kind of gets my blood boiling and I'm like, okay, I got to step back and sort of work with that part of me that wants him to say the right thing and get curious again and try to understand where he's coming from and have him explain where he got his information and, and having these kind of back and forth that are safe and check your sources is powerful, right? So my kids are getting this practice of um, where did you learn that and how do you know if that's a good source and tell me what you think. So like the critical thinking. Now, are we perfect at this? No. And do I constantly have to stop myself from just telling them what I want them to think? Yes, because it's so easy when you're the parent to do that and to feel more comfortable because your kid agrees with you, just like we want other people to agree with us. I like that you're prepping them to defend their uh, dissertation already. Right, (laughs) <laughs> That's right. So great. I don't know. I mean, I think one of my kids is going to be a lawyer and I can see how it's all our fault, but, um, bless his heart. Oh, yeah. Gosh. No, it's, it starts with these, you modeling the kind of conversations you wish you could have had in your home or the, or the kind of conversations you wish you could have with your crazy uncle at Thanksgiving dinner, but that don't necessarily happen easily outside of the home. You can start to practice that open dialogue. There's so many books on communication and, you know, learning how to use I statements and do good back and forth. You know, you, you can find ways to improve your own communication style, but to really give your kids some room to be heard, be validated, be seen, 
um, and know that they're still safe with you no matter what they say. I mean, that's, yeah. that's gold. I loved everything that you just said. And it's, it's uh, a big thing that Deanna and I are really instilling in, you know, Aria now that she's able to kind of converse, you know, just having the like, well, why, why do you think that way? And just kind of like letting her critically think through certain things or feelings of, of why she feels a certain way about whatever problem it is, you know, so, so trivial now in her life, but hoping that that activity at least kind of, uh, instills that feeling of like critically thinking as it kind of, she goes throughout the rest of her life. Right. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely. So the other day, my nine-year-old just in the car said, Mom, I just love how reality works. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't. <laughs> but tell me why, yeah. you know? And of course, it had something to do with Minecraft. It wasn't even related to the reality I was thinking of. Yeah. And it's this great example of they are seeing the world with fresh eyes. Like we have so much to learn from them and that openness and that curiosity. And so, you know, it can kind of go both ways. They can teach us to you know, love how reality works. So um, true. Yeah. So, so I have a couple books real quick to recommend if oh, sure. anyone is interested in taking out their own garbage. Um, there is a book I'm recently sort of been digging into called Dangerous Love by Chad Ford. And so the Arbinger Institute is this essentially like peacekeeping philosophical group, right? And they, okay. they do a lot with, you know, inter familial conflict, co conflicts between countries. They've done a lot of stuff. They, there's another book by them called The Anatomy of Peace that can be really helpful. And it's all about checking your garbage and sort of understanding sort of where you're coming from um, and, and doing things a little differently when you communicate um, and sort of, you know, building on this compassion and giving people space um, to be seen and heard that that's pretty powerful. So those are two fun books that are not directly about, um, parenting necessarily, but dangerous love does have a lot of examples of parenting, um, situations. And he uses himself as, um, the Guinea pig for how he does it wrong, even though he's the expert. Um, mm, <laughs> so that, that all goes to say, let's be kind to ourselves. We're not going to be perfect at this, but can we improve a little bit? Yes, absolutely. And do that a little bit at a time. And let me throw in one last piece of advice to really work on creating your own safety in a community of other parents. What, what happens really easily in sort of divisive situations is people use code words and other symbols to let you know that like you agree politically or you agree religiously or, you know, wherever there's potential, um, you know, binary situations or, or, you know, who knows what you think or whatever. We're all just being nice. And then suddenly you say something, you're like, Oh, okay. I guess we don't feel the same about that. Right. That can be pretty distressing and make us kind of think we knew somebody. And then suddenly we're like, Whoa, I thought you were more rational than you are. Or mm -hmm. I thought that you were smarter than this or whatever that may be. It really, if we boil it down, it's, I thought I was safe with you. And I don't automatically wow. feel safe with you. That is and, quite a shift in perspective. Yeah, it is. And if we could just use that word, then we'd say, okay, I don't feel safe with you. So then what do I do about that? Um, I think a, a great symbol of, of this pandemic that has shown this is people wearing masks or not. So we went from someone wears a mask and what that symbolizes is that 
they're following the guidelines and that they are, you know, they care about my health or whatever. You can you know, put all sorts of things on top of that, right? Yeah. And now we have, you can take your mask off if you've been vaccinated, which is another way of saying, okay, you got the vaccine, so you take, you care about not spreading it. Like it's now the, the, the symbol is different. It's the opposite. And we're not good at switching that fast, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people are having some, whoo, wait, what? Oh, yeah. I'm not, not sure if they're okay or not. Well, it's, it right? comes back to the trust and they, do they feel safe? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. right. And now are you just a person rebelling and refusing to wear it because you think it's a hoax? Or are you somebody who just got vaccinated? Yeah. I'll never know. Which is good for us humans to um, not have such an easy symbol that decides who we are and who we are not. Which is why it was so polarizing, right? Because it was so clear. It was on your face or it was not on your face. And it meant everything and it meant you are safe or you're not safe either direction, right? Yeah. So as that shifts and we get back to not having a mask situation all the time or something so obvious, you know, people start to claim stakes or show their their allegiance to this or that or wear it on their T-shirt or put it on their bumper sticker. We've always had little versions of this, right? Um, but I would really recommend parents um, finding connection and safety as they parent and finding maybe a politically neutral place to do that. I know that seems harder and harder to do. Yeah. But often your local preschool group or whatever it might be, they tend to be, you know, kids, they have kids your kids' age or they're in a similar life circumstances. So finding your commonalities and really building on those and building that compassion for one another. Sometimes you just make rules like, hey, no politics at this table, <laughs> right? right? Or we will not discuss um, this or that. And we, you know, sort of preempting that elephant in the room um, and really like seeing each other for who you really are. Because I can go up the street and find my Trump supporter flag waving neighbor who would do anything to help me. That's the and then thing, down man. the street, yeah. the same thing with my leftist, whatever they will. They're all because we got the neighbor thing happening, the connection on, on some point. So that's it's hard to do, but, but really valuable and probably not as hard to do as we think it is. If all we're getting is social media input, because it's even it seems worse than it probably actually is on your street. So true. And I know plenty of people on both sides of the fence that are just fine people like good people and um you know it's just there there are certain fundamental differences i'm sure uh but you know i really hope that we as society as a people can kind of try to push some of that stuff away and and really set the right example for our kids and, and the the knowledge and the wisdom that you just shared you blew my mind in a few places um so this is this is so so good um so so thank you so much You're for welcome. taking the time to to talk about some of this um you know as we do towards the end of the show, you know, I, I want to make sure that people have an opportunity to follow you or if you had any other resources or, or anything that you wanted to pimp, is there anything that you wanted to talk about any projects or anything that you want to talk about? Yeah. What's hilarious is that I was on Instagram and I still enjoy perusing fun things there, but the, something sort of snapped in me when George Floyd died and I just could not, I could not hear people I just mm -hmm. couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. It was like, 
oh, I'll put a black square up. And then uh, three days later, I'm going to talk about my new haircut. And, <laughs> you know, I just couldn't take it. Like something snapped in my head. So you can find me on Instagram at Wendy Dunford, W-E-N-D-I. But I will have posted the last thing on probably May 23rd last year. Who knows? I may come <laughs> back one day. Um, uh, but the other project that I've been working on um, is called realsteps.org. And it is a really fun project. We started in February of 2020, a friend of mine and I, um, not having no idea what was coming around the corner. And it's been a really awesome uh, group and a huge fun community that's followed. And um, just feel like some of the most amazing people on the internet are in, in this thing. And what it is, is um, my friend is a sports nutritionist and, you know, a, a working nutritionist and is amazing. And she does her nutrition stuff. And then I do this sort of psychological well-being stuff. And our whole goal is to like end dieting forever. The, Love it. The, just crushing the, the diet culture to the nothingness would be my, my ultimate goal that you can be healthy at any size and you can work with the, those voices in your head that are cruel and we can change that. And anyway, it's a blast. So if anyone wants to learn about that, they can go to realsteps.org sign up to get an email. We do, um, let's see, February, May, we're just finishing up May this, this next week, uh, May, August and November, we run a month long course. Um, and we do it together and it's a lot of fun. So that is all I can pimp for now. (laughs) That's great. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes for people. If you want to check that out. Um, thank you so much again. Our guest has been Wendy Dunford as always. You've been a blast to have on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The distinction between empathy and compassion is a big one. And I think that if we as a people, as parents, especially leading this next generation, as we consider how we handle conflict, doing so compassionately, I think is a huge answer to a lot of the problems that I've seen. I truly hope that this conversation enlightened you like it enlightened me. And I really appreciate Wendy's time. Please go follow her and the work that she's doing and make sure that you check her out on the morning stream every Thursday over at frogpants.com. And as a reminder, if you'd like to support this show, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to supportadad.com. And if you appreciated the conversations that we had today and would like to continue supporting and seeing conversations like this occur, please consider becoming a patron by subscribing to a dollar a month or more. That helps tremendously. So thank you again to all of our patrons who have been supporting us for all this time. It means the world to me. And if you'd like to chime in on this conversation, you can do so by emailing the Dad Chronicle podcast at gmail.com. All past episodes can be found at thedadchronicle.com. Thanks again for listening. And remember, be good to yourself and be good to others. See you next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.